ready today, uh, if you have a Bible on your phone or in a book, uh, go with me and find the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, you'll have plenty of time to find Colossians before I read it. It's going to be a bit, I'll give you some other verses ahead of time that we'll put up on the screen. Now, obviously, today we're speaking about the resurrection and uh, what a glorious day and the impact upon our lives. But I want to share a little bit uh, about not just the visible aspects of that, but the invisible. You see, with the, with the, the, the crucifixion, the death of the Lord, and his resurrection... There are both visible and invisible components to it. If you were there, as some people were, you could observe certain aspects. Maybe if you were at the trial, you would see some of that mocking and beating and the crown of thorns. If you could be present at the crucifixion, you would see Jesus on the cross. You would hear some of the statements that he made in those final moments. If you were a part of that, again, you may have seen the beatings, the stripes or bruises that he received. As the scripture says, by his stripes we were healed, right? Uh, You could have seen a lot of these physical aspects and his dead body on the cross being taken down. You may have been able to see him being, you know, wrapped up and put in the tomb. And then three days later, see some saw his resurrection, saw the empty tomb for sure. And some people saw him. And at one point, he apparently appeared to 500 people all at one time. And so that's recorded in Scripture. That's a lot of the visible aspects of what took place. There's a whole other side to this that it doesn't matter if you were there. You didn't see it just like we, of course, weren't there. We didn't see it. But it's very, very significant and very, very real. When you think about his death both the trial, the the beating, his death. What you didn't see is the curse being put on him. You could have seen the striping, the beating, but you didn't see the, the root cause, the source of all sickness and disease and poverty and shame and guilt and, and, and all that stuff being put on him in a spiritual manner. Because he suffered that way in addition to the physical suffering. What you couldn't see is him being separated from his father. You couldn't see that rejection. And I believe these unseen elements were even more severe than the seen parts. Okay? Uh, we, again, we, ma- we make the other part known if you've seen movies like, you know, The Passion of the Christ or things like that. And you see the physical part. It's just hard to watch, right? Just that, that, that physical beating. But what about the part you can't see? What about the part, you know, the angels could see, demons could see, God, but it's the spiritual bearing of of all this negativity and this curse. I don't think we can comprehend what it means to be rejected by God. When he said, let me remind you of this verse, uh, Mark 15, 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sambachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, people there could observe and say, oh, that's interesting. Why is he saying that? What they couldn't see was what he was feeling, 
what he was experiencing. See, for all eternity, Jesus had never touched sin. He had never in the slightest degree embraced or connected with something that was impure or unholy or to be separated from the Father. And so not only did he take the physical pounding, but then he's on the cross going, God's not here. The Father is not here with me anymore. And that moved him to cry out, why have you forsaken me? I can't imagine that because I've never been where he was on that level, but I can hardly imagine. No one could see the fullness of this separation. And of course, it was part of our redemption. Why was Jesus forsaken? It's so that you would never be forsaken. Why was he separated from the Father? So once you receive the Lord in your life, he can tell you, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you forever. So that's a point of celebration to us, but I think it's helpful to see there was a lot more going on than what the individuals could observe who were present. And even us who are just reading the words all these years later. But there was more to it than that. You might recall, without us going through all the scriptures, that one of the things he said was, it is finished. Now, when he said it is finished, did he mean like everything was finished? I mean, you'd have to define it. Because it's like if you die, are you finished? Well, it just depends on what you're talking about. Your physical life is finished, yeah, but you're not done. All you did is step out of your earth suit. And you're going to live forever. You're going to exist forever somewhere. So it's the end of something, but it's also not the end. When Jesus said it was finished, obviously the law was finished. The law and the sacrifices, the requirements, his bloodshed, his physical atonement for our sins. All that is finished, yes, but is everything done? I mean, he still was not resurrected. He still was not seated at the right hand of the Father. There were some other things that we know that still needed to take place. But what happened immediately? Well, here's some of the things that the Scripture says, and I don't want to go too far in reading into it, but we're just given glimpses. This happened, this happened, this happened. And, you know, we can kind of use our imagination, and, you know, we may get it right or wrong on some of the details. But, but, but Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 40, For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So when he died, he wasn't just like still there but dead. He wasn't kicking, kicking back in the, in the tomb, sitting there with his dead body. No, he descended. He died and went down. How many know if you die and start going down, you should be concerned? <laughs> but this was a part of what Jesus had to do. He had to go to the belly, the heart of the earth, for those three days Acts 2.27 reads, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Your soul in Hades, that's the Hades word hell. He won't leave me in hell, allow the Holy One to see, see corruption. So when Jesus left his body on the cross, he went down and some things were going on from there. That's where we don't have all the details, but little scriptures here and there point out some of what took place. For example... Uh, 1 Peter 3.19 reads, By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. So I know that just raises questions like, who are they? <laughs> what was the preaching about? 
Uh, and you can, you can imagine, I think, that he's preaching what he did, his victory over death, his fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In Jude verse 6, it, it tells us, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, how uh, I many know demons and these angels are not the same creatures? All right. Demons that are around on the earth today, not talking about these spirits that had left their abode could easily be those Genesis 6 spirits, but they were, um, uh, they were being held in chains and maybe that's some of, uh, of Jesus' declaration. But, but what happened in the days before Jesus' death and, and subsequent resurrection was people who had a relationship with God you know, via the Old Covenant, to the degree they knew. How many know when, when they were genuinely uh, right with God to the degree that they could be? They couldn't be born again yet. But they were right with God. When they died, they didn't go to heaven. Okay, you read about David. You read about, uh, you know, the prophets of the Old Testament. All these people that are admirable, God, God used greatly. When they died, they didn't go to heaven. Okay, what they did is they went down. Okay? Now, I don't mean they went to a place of suffering because at that time, hell or Hades had at least two compartments. One part was torment. Another part was comfort. It's, it's referred to as paradise or Abraham's bosom. Okay? So why didn't the Old Testament saints go to heaven? Well, because they were still spiritually dead. They were still lost in their sin. Their sin was covered, but they weren't yet redeemed for all eternity. So they couldn't stand in the presence of God. You can't mix God's heaven and holiness and purity and perfection with sinful beings. Something would go wrong. <laughs> that wasn't allowed. By the way, if you say, well, God could have let him in there anyway. If he could have, why did he send Jesus? If, you, if people could go to heaven just because God likes you, or permits it to happen, then Jesus' sacrifice and great suffering was totally unnecessary. I'll just let you guys in anyway. Now, these are legal matters, and God had to justly, justly and legally pay for sins through Jesus' sacrifice and shed blood. Okay, so, so, so that was what was going on. We had these two compartments. You can read about that in Luke chapter 16 on, on your own time about this, these two guys. One, one's name was Lazarus. The other didn't have a name. He was just called a rich guy. Okay, and, and you, Jesus told the story. And you can see the two compartments there. Uh, but one of the things that Jesus did when he died is he went down and he got all the people from the Old Testament or prior to his death and gathered them together and brought them to heaven. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Okay, that word captivity captive, that means he gathered a multitude of captives. What do you mean they were captive? They were in that place waiting for their redemption. And uh, he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Okay, this is where I kind of imagine. I wonder what that looks like. I hope to see a replay of this someday. But Jesus gets down there, Abraham's bosom. You've got 
I don't know how many, a very large amount of people who are right with God and waiting for them for, to be able to go to heaven. And so Jesus gets down there and says, I am he who was and is and is to come. I am alive. And, or well, not alive yet, but you know, not physically raised. But I, I, I paid the price for your redemption. I'm the Messiah, so forth. If you would like to receive me on three, raise your hand. <laughs> okay, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here. And Jesus said, on three, one, two, three. And he clapped his hand. And everybody's hand shot up. And they all were born again. And then he led them into the very presence of God. And that's how, exactly how it happened, I think. <laughs> or some version of that. But he did lead them out of there. And that's why today, when a believer dies, you don't have to go to Abraham's bosom or paradise. Paradise is now in heaven. I mean, you die, you step out of your body. If you're saved, you go immediately to the throne of God and God's glorious presence. But that's the way it was then. Here's my point in, in bringing all that to you. There was a whole lot of activity that was not seen in addition to those elements that were seen. That is also the case with a person's salvation. Now, I want to read from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, notice with me in verse 26, it reads, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them. God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is. Here it here's is. Here's the great mystery. Ready? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What I'm always curious about is the buildup to this. Here it is, you guys. Are you ready? Ready, 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 ready. Here's the mystery. It's been hidden for thousands of years. Nobody has known this. I've kept this a secret. No one knew it was going to happen this way. Ready? Here it goes, here it goes, here it goes. Christ in you. And, most, and so often we go, oh, Okay, uh, yay, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe we don't get it. I think there is more in that statement than meets the eye. I think there is a, a spiritual quality and quantity and invisible nature to this that is so over the top amazing beyond our comprehension and our lack of whoo glory to God did you hear that shows that we're not quite up to speed on the reality and impact of that statement listen to the new living translation of verse 27 for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too and this is the secret. Here it is. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Now, 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 now think about this. First of all, why keep it a secret? Why keep this indwelling presence a secret? Part of it, I think, has to do with Satan. Because all this stuff he did to redeem us back from, from death and from hell and from lost authority... He was keeping a secret from the devil. 
How many know when you go to battle, you don't tell the enemy your plans? Right? Keep some things to yourself. <laughs> and God is wise enough to do that. He didn't reveal all, all his plan. Things were given in picture and form. And then when it happened, all of a sudden it's too late. I mean, how I many know demons had a nightmare with Jesus walking around Israel during his ministry? And he'd walk into some places where they had strongholds and people were all bound up and, and they'd freak. The, the demons would cry out sometimes, ah, we know who you are, Jesus, you son of God. Have you come here to torment us? And they would freak out by his presence. What do you think happened on the day of Pentecost? The 120 got filled with the Spirit, and then Peter went out and preached, and 3,000 got saved. How many know the devil's having, he's having trouble sleep, sleeping right now? <laughs> right? Because now there was Jesus, and oh no. Now there's thousands of these God-possessed beings. Now look at them, they're everywhere. And they're authorized to tell us what to do. And our strongholds are no longer safe because they can cast us out. This is is what happened. The devil did not see this coming. Okay? God kept it a secret. But this is interesting to me how the great mystery, this great secret, is not just him revealing the glories of heaven. I mean, because we all are interested in that. And what our life will be like in eternity, we have little glimpses here and there. But that wasn't the secret he's talking about. This secret is described that Christ would live in us. I'm thinking this thing is bigger than I know. This is more magnificent than I've realized. Adam didn't even have this. Even before sin, before the fall, God didn't have his dwelling place inside of him. It's just like God to do that, though. He gives us something amazing. We totally mess it up. He says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you more than you had before. (laughs) Here's your punishment. (laughs) What you had and double it. You know, we would say, okay, maybe I'll let you back in, but you're sleeping in the garage. (laughs) The Lord says, no, I'm giving you the, the keys to the front door and I'm moving in with you. We're going to make this better than ever before. But this is, is, is his plan that Christ would live in us. If you, if you think about it, if you know anything about world religion, religion doesn't even offer this. This is not even a goal, a, gar- a promise, an assurance that God would indwell you. He would live in you. He would take up residence inside of a human being. It's all about, you know... Uh, live by a certain code, believe certain things, and hopefully you are granted access in the afterlife. And that's kind of the goal of a lot of religion. And and even even the way we present the gospel, the way I I do most of the time, I think it's more connectable, but it's not the complete picture, is we say, get saved. Well, why? Well, so you can go to heaven. And that's for sure the big part of that. But I wonder if our focus on that causes us to minimize God's focus on, I want to dwell in you. My goal, meaning God speaking, my goal was not just to give you life later. My goal was to give you life now. I didn't want to just be with you in eternity. I want to permanently indwell you and live through you so that your life is not just you living. It is me living through you. 
Therefore, whatever you face in life, it is not about your perseverance or ability to overcome. It is about my life working in and through you and my victory being your victory. My peace being your peace. Come on, my strength being your strength. The person who finds out how to live from the inside out, how to, how to draw from the strength of the indwelling resurrected Christ is one who overcomes in life. We are not just about a religious system trying to observe all the rules and regulations. It's about a relationship and it is about the indwelling presence of Christ. This is why this is such a big deal. And if we can grasp it and think this way, life is forever different. I mean, before we get to heaven. I tell you, to have this, the Spirit of God indwell people is beyond conceivable. And, uh, you know, outward observance of different rules and so forth, uh, they don't achieve that indwelling presence. Okay. Living a better life is living a better life. But that's not the same as God living through you, living in and through you. If I come to the Lord, if I come to church, and I'm able to kick some bad habits, treat people better, forgive other people around me, that's good, that's wonderful, but that by itself is not the same as God living in your being, as Christ dwelling in in you. I don't just want the, the, the outer victories. I want the outer victories coming from this inward connection. If I don't have it coming from there, they're likely going to be temporary. I'll, I'll survive for a while and I'll trip back up and fall into the same patterns. But if I can learn to live with a conscious awareness that God has taken up residence inside of my very being. I've got it now. There, there's nothing too big, nothing too hard. Here's how I would describe, ideally, what it means to live the Christian life. You receive something, and we know what that something is, salvation, eternal life, Jesus himself. We receive something, and then from that point on, we learn about what we received. If we don't think of it that way, then we think, okay, I received the Lord, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, now what do I have to do? Ooh, ooh, hold on. You flip back into, okay, you gotta go to church, you gotta pay your tithe, you gotta, you know, do different things, and we've, we've missed the point. I receive something, and then I explore. Then I, when I got saved as a child, I had no clue what everything that was deposited into me at that very moment. How God himself just took up residence inside this boy. I had no idea what the potential is of the resurrected Christ inside of a human being. That the, as Romans says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwelt in me. I'm a little kid, I'm a kid going to school, going to junior high, going to high school. I'm a God-possessed being that doesn't really know much about it. In fact, when I, in my late, late teen years, I found out through some different teaching and preaching of the word, some of what I had, what I got all those years ago, and I was annoyed. You know why I was annoyed? Because I was going to church every week and no one told me. 
all I heard was get saved and get saved and, you know, get saved. And, and uh, if you're not saved, then get saved. And I thought, I've already done that. And some people need to hear that message. I didn't need to hear that anymore. I needed to know what was invested inside of me. I needed to find out who I was in Christ. And as soon as I started hearing it, my life lit up. I, it, it turned me from just a, you know, I had a relationship with God. I, I don't mean it was not real, but it was very shallow. And all of a sudden, I'm spending, not by someone obligating me, I'm spending hours by myself listening to people teach the word, and I'm taking notes. In my bedroom, on cassette tapes. <laughs> taking notes. And I'm writing this stuff down, and I'm just getting fired up. In the middle of that, I found out God called me to, to the ministry. What's going on here? All that was there before. The call of God was there before. The, the power of Christ was in me before. The mind of Christ was in me before. I just didn't know about it. I'm, I'm walking around as a treasure chest full of God's riches and glory and power and have no clue. I'm just trying to live for God, just trying to be a good Christian, just trying not to sin as much as I used to and, you know, just doing what I can. And, and, and I've so missed God's image of this great mystery that he wanted to live in me and live through me and cause me to be a walking testimony of an overcoming life, of a changed life. So it's a continual discovery. People who have a casual observance, they don't get it. And can I tell you, you can live your whole life and truly be a believer and not get this. And if you don't look for it, God won't bother you with it. You'll be nominally Christian. <laughs> I'm talking about your experience. I'm not questioning your eternity. But you'll just be, you'll believe in the Lord. You'll have a hope, the hope, the expectation of heaven someday. But this life won't be Christ living through you. It'll be you living, tagging him along. If you don't want it, you don't get it. If you don't look, if you don't explore, if you don't try, he won't bother pulling the curtain back for you where you can look in and go, oh, wow, what is all this? Yeah, it's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's righteousness. That's healing. That's victory. That's authority. That's the peace of God. That, that's how you can own. It's a, amen. We, Amy and I and our family have been on cruises in the past, uh, vacations, cruises, uh, before they went weird. And require you to do things. Uh, we've been on cruises, and, and, and one of the things we've done, if, if some of you can relate if you've ever been on these ships, they get, they're getting bigger and bigger. They make these massive cruise ships, but uh, we get on the ship, we find our room, get your stateroom, and you find your number, your deck, and all this stuff. You squeeze in there. <laughs> if you've never been on a cruise ship, prepare. No, they're not that bad, but they're, they're much smaller than a hotel room. And, uh, but then we put our stuff in there, and then one of the things we'd often do, especially me and the kids, uh, is we go exploring. It's like, okay, now we got all these decks and all these, you got the buffets and you got the swimming pools and the gym, and, and there's the mall in there, and it's just a floating city. 
And uh, it's like, we just want to go look around. We just got to go explore this thing before dinner and, 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 and see what all is here for our next week, okay? I think that the Christian life is somewhat like that. The problem is, is if someone gets on the ship and they go to their room, close the door and just say, okay, that's it. They look out their, out their window and that's it. They never leave their room. How many think they got robbed? How much did you pay just to sit in that little box? Get out of your room and go take advantage of all the amenities that are being offered to you. But I think sometimes Christians do that. They get saved. It's like, woohoo, I'm going to heaven. I have a relationship with God. And they stay in that little box and they never explore. They think, the, think of church as like an obligation. Oh, I have to go. And, no, you're missing the point. Have you been to deck five? You've been to deck four, been to deck eight, been to deck 12. Have you seen all the things? Do you know about your righteousness in Christ? Do you know about, uh, do you know about the Holy Spirit? Do you know about the gifts of the Spirit? Do you know about the power? Do you know about, well, what have you learned? What have you found out? Because God put all of it in you. When he said Christ in you, the hope of glory, he didn't mean Christ's little toe. He didn't mean I'm going to give you just a little bit enough to survive and make it to the end. No, all of himself, in all of his goodness, in all of his power, in all of his glory, in all of his ability, and his wisdom and might has been placed inside of the believer. We are. If you're one, I'm one, are you one? If you're one, you are walking around as something fully loaded with the very glory of God. To not know what's there means it goes unutilized means we often live in fear and live in doubt and live without peace and live without hope. And, and it's all there. We just don't know about it. It's one of the reasons we do what we do around here. Not only a service like this, but why we do the classes on the Holy Spirit and the life identity and we do the life groups and we have a Bible college. And uh, all, what's it all for? Well, in short, to sum it up, is to tell people what's already in them when they got saved. Because if you find what's there, you'll start thinking different. You'll start acting different. You'll start responding differently to problems in life. And it's just, you're living life on a whole new level. It's not just, I'm going to heaven. Well, glory to God, I am too. But what about now? Right now, it's about Christ in us. Christ in us. Amen. When you don't have the answer, you find out. The scripture says we have the mind of Christ. <gasps> wow, I've got that. When you're feeling unworthy, feeling guilty, you find out, oh, wait a minute, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, I'm good. When you don't know what to do, decisions to make, and you realize, oh, no, wait a minute, there's that too. He has been made unto me wisdom. Christ has been made unto me with, I've got that too. So my answer's already here. I'm no longer serving a God out there. God help, remember me, SOS, you know. No, he's not out there, he's here. And not just in a figurative emotional sense, God is in my heart. No, literally he moved in. 
his spirit. I don't know how that works in eternity and an infinite God, but he squeezed inside of you and me right here. So, Resurrection Day. Woohoo! <laughs> Just like in his death, in his resurrection, the time in between, there was a whole lot of invisible qualities, elements to that. It is the same with a person's salvation. Yes, there are some externals. Water baptism, we can see that. Your confession of faith. I, I confess Jesus as Lord. We can see that. Over time, we can see changes in, you know, behavior, in, in how you speak, and different. You can see that. Uh, uh, but so much, in fact, the, the majority of what took place in a person at salvation is unseen. And we just need to explore. But we're possessed by God himself. Amen. 1 John chapter 4 and verse, verse 4 reads, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Notice, not just he whom you serve, the God in heaven whom you worship is greater. He said, no, the God who's in you. He's greater than he who's in the world. And this is the mentality. If I, if I could stir your heart today and you leave this resurrection service today, if I could get you to have a consciousness of Christ in you, in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, his power, his majesty, in all of his goodness, and, and have become, like it said, God inside-minded. We walk through life and we look in mirrors and, and we have pictures of ourselves and we're often us outside-minded. And we go through life and, you know, we get hit with a problem or a struggle or a sickness or a challenge of some kind and we're mindful of us. Am I able to overcome this? Am I able to, to, to stand in the middle of this trial? I'm being tempted. All these things. And we're mindful of us and we have to shift on purpose. Otherwise, why would we have this verse? Why would he write and say, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world? If it was like, well, duh. Because for a lot of people, it wasn't, oh, yeah, oh, you know, duh. It was, it was a new thought. Like, oh, yeah, okay. That's a viewpoint I should have in life that will put me over the top. So if we could, again, leave here, and our mentality is he's in me. Christ is in me. The healer's in me. The miracle worker is in me. The protector is in me. His victory is my victory. His peace is my peace. Almost to the fact, if you were to slip up, I would be pleased in this regard. If someone said, hey, I'm, if you met someone new, hey, I'm, I'm Jim. What's your name? And you said Christ. I, I mean, uh, uh, Mark. I mean, you were so God inside minded that you slipped up and gave the wrong name. I think he'll forgive you. But that's, if we could become more conscious of him in us than us. Trying to make it. Trying to overcome. Trying to live. But Christ in me. I think it'll do wonders for us. Praise God. This is the mystery. This is the secret. This is the hidden gem. 
the jewel, God's ultimate plan. Whenever you think, I can't do it. I can't love my family enough like I ought to. I, my problem is bigger than I can solve. Remind yourself of the resurrected Christ in you. And say, oh, wait a minute. Nope, I'm going to stop right here. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You're living in my bones. You're living in my mind. You're living in my hands. Praise God. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Think that's a good thought? How long could you hold it? Could you hold that thought for a week? Could you hold it for an hour? Five minutes? <laughs> It'll do wonders for your mentality. It'll start affecting your health. It'll start affecting your decision making. It'll affect how you treat others. If you're mindful of Christ in you. That's why he was raised. Praise God. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working in us. Oh, thank you, Father. I sense there is a hunger, a desire, a thirst in people today. Jesus, you said if we would hunger, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would be filled. For those who hunger after you today, I thank you that you meet them in their desire. As they reach out to you with all of their hearts, you meet them and show them and reveal yourself, your love, your power, your wisdom, and the great reality of their salvation and redemption. You reveal it to them in a mighty and powerful way so it changes their lives, it changes the way they live, and now they overcome, and they're not overcome by this world any longer.